0: Back on the podcast, it is the commish. Dan Butterly joins us again. Thank you again, sir, for being very gracious. I know it's a busy time of year for you, particularly with some of the topics we're going we're to tackle. And I appreciate you coming back on with us.
1: No, well, I'm honored to be here. It's, uh, it was a great discussion last time, and as I indicated before, I'm always willing to talk to you.
0: I've tried the tater tots in ranch dressing since we last spoke, <laughs> and you know it's it's you're you're on top of it. So we understand why people want you making decisions. Um, before we start, let's address the mastodon in the room. It's bigger yep. than an elephant. Um, on the men's side, we had 10 scheduled games in the Big West this week. Only three of them were played, obviously, the Omicron surge of the of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. Now, we were just joking before we got on the air here. So your Christmas was basically spent managing this pandemic.
1: Every day uh, during what was perceived as the holiday break, every day, was spent dealing with something relative to this COVID variant. Even at the time that I'm opening presents with my family, I'm getting an email from one of our athletic directors indicating that they have a COVID issue and they need to shut down their games. So every day was spent focused on COVID, what are what impacts it has on our student athletes, and what impacts it will have on our games coming up.
0: So, so take me through this. I think it was December 22nd or 23rd. You guys issue a missive about, so instead of games being that are canceled being forfeits you're now going to make them no contests, which won't be rescheduled um take me through that decision i'm guessing it was a little bit influenced by some of the other conferences or was this a decision you guys independently reached
1: we independently reached it i mean it was i think we were one of the first ones out there Uh, i think it was us the big 12 on the same day had announced we shifted from a forfeiture policy to a no contest policy and the key reason behind it one of the reasons we decided on the forfeiture back in, in August of 2021 was really in a, in a position of trying to encourage you know, our, our teams, our programs to get vaccinated, uh, to make sure that, that our teams were prepared to do what we needed to do to compete in the year ahead. And we got through the fall really well. Pretty And the one thing relative to the Big West, all the Cal State universities, all of the UC universities and the University of Hawaii required vaccination before any student could come back on campus. So it wasn't just student athletes in that respect but what we saw was all of our teams had done what they needed to do they got vaccinated they, they did what they needed to do in that respect and what we were starting to see with with covid the omicron variant potentially going to impact which now it has but the potential impact that it could have is is some of those decisions that were going to be made were not at the, the decision making point of our institution it may be the the local county or the city ordinance that would not allow them to play so it wasn't fair to require a forfeit on an, on a team Because they did what they needed to do, and a decision was going to be made maybe outside the athletic department that would have impacted the team. So that's why we shifted from a forfeiture to a no contest. And, you know, fortunately, the timing worked out well, given that conference competition was scheduled to to start on December
0: 28th. So I'm going to ask you a little bit of a sticky question here. So it's a weird situation. So the no contest games are not to be made up, Okay. Now, we have a situation with a team in the league, UC San Diego. They're in their D1 transition period, so their league games don't count. Okay, right. if those last two weeks of the year you've had numerous cancellations, now you've already said you're not going to make up the games. If a team and a good team, I'm talking about if the top of the league, you know, in Irvine, in Santa Barbara, Riverside, if those teams are in danger of not having enough games, could those games potentially be made up?
1: That's the biggest challenge we face the last couple weeks, and, it, and it's really. Unfortunately, the NCAA didn't act on it before this this happened. We don't know. Last year, we knew the minimum number of games required to be able to participate in the NCAA tournament. Last year, the NCAA set that early. They put that number at 13. Uh, This year, we're flying blind. At this point, on January 3rd, we do not know what the minimum number of games are. So I'm never going to say never to rescheduling. There could be a situation that an institution does need to uh, get another game or two. And maybe there's a situation... That two institutions are off the same night because their opponents didn't have had COVID related issues. So maybe there's that potential late in the season we're able to reschedule those games.
0: But so, I, and I was just at UCSD, um, and so my question would be more: if UCSD is scheduled to play games against teams that you know need to those games to get in the in the tournament, would there be would they run the risk of their games being canceled since they don't count you know towards the league? for those teams to go reschedule and maybe play some of the games that they had lost due to COVID.
1: Yeah. Not something that we've discussed at this time and not something I'm looking to to do at this point, because obviously UC San Diego is a full member of the, of the big West conference. The unfortunate transition phase, you know, that they have to go through four years of a transition is the unfortunate part of it. Otherwise they'd be playing. They are playing a full division one schedule at this point and their games are scheduled. So they've done what they needed to do to stay healthy. So they're at this point. I'd say I wouldn't want to penalize UC San Diego in that respect.
0: So just last two things on this, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dan, uh, was it ever, did you guys ever consider just a league wide pause, you know, because you're talking about this during Christmas. Hey, let's pause this thing. We'll start with the games of January 6th, maybe shut down practice till January 1st. Was that ever discussed?
1: There was some, a couple one or two ADs that actually brought that up. Uh, and said, you know, would you consider a pause? And I said, well, the biggest challenge we got, this is unlike last year's COVID spread. Uh, last year's COVID spread, we were in a position that we were going back to backs. We were doing, you know, the, the spread wasn't as viral as this current spread is. And here this year, we're dealing with some teams that have three individuals on the team that have COVID. Not necessarily 14, 15 student athletes, it's only three. So knowing the highly, this is more of a highly contagion variant than what COVID was last year at this point. And knowing that we have the vaccines what we ultimately determined was to, to delay for two weeks when you've only got maybe three people on a team that have the have the variant and have to pause two or three weeks from now, we could have three more players on that same team that have the variant that you know, they have to shut down again. So to, to pause for two weeks, unless everybody had the co- had COVID, didn't seem to make sense. We had to play as, as similar to what we did last year. We just have to play games as we can play games at this point.
0: So I'm guessing it's the same answer to the other question I was going to ask you was, mm-hmm. do you ever consider, because the, the teams are now remote, I mean, I think the UCs and the Cal States are both, at least for the first couple of weeks, remote. The UCs are, I guess the Cal States don't really start till the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider maybe bubbling, you know, kind of grouping the teams together, two or three groups, and then bubbling it?
1: No, I hadn't even talked about that. Again, just because of the it, we didn't have the back-to-back model, things came on so fast. We had the protocols in place, but to shift the schedule. So drastically, so uh, so quickly would have would have been a significant challenge, and not knowing for sure because the spread is pretty vast across California right now, not knowing for sure where to place those teams and putting some some potentially negative competitive imbalance on teams wasn't something we considered.
0: All right, well, so let's get to the meat of this thing. So we've you yeah. know we've got the the bread and the condiments. What the reason I requested this was I wanted to talk about your vision for the conference and when you took the job of of the commissioner of the Big West. You said your main focus is going to be, hey, let's let's bump up the level, of competition on the basketball side. I know you are on the one of the committees uh, for for the NCAA championship uh, basketball committee, and I know you're an old basketball manager, so that that tugs mm-hmm. right at your heart, yep. and. You know, me being a baseball guy, I'm a big, big West baseball guy. But I understand that for this conference to kind of back where it was when when I was a student post PCAA, when they were getting multiple bids every year, you know, men's basketball and women's basketball will both need to be the focuses. Um, I was intrigued by this because of your background, spending 21 years in the Mountain West, which, you know, first of all, was a break off league from from the West, the Western Athletic Conference. And basketball was always decent. But in the 20 years you were there. It went from being kind of an afterthought hoops conference mid-major to now probably one of the two or three strongest mid-majors out there, uh, you know, outside the Power Five, obviously. Uh, Let's start with what are specific things that you, when you took the job, you're like, okay, here are a couple things we can definitely improve in this league.
1: I think some of the things we had to look at was scheduling. We had to look at non-conference scheduling and who we were scheduling. You want to play the teams that you want to be in many ways. That's, That's always been my philosophy. So. If we want to be a, a non-Division 1 league, then schedule a whole bunch of non-Division 1 teams and let's just go out and play. But if you want to compete for an at-large berth or success or in the NCAA tournament, we need to look at uh, scheduling analytics. We need to look at teams that are like-minded, that are like us, that we can compete with head-to-head and potentially get some road wins or some, some better quality home, home games in that respect and get those quality wins that open the eyes to the NCAA. So in many ways, we're gonna, we, we've are going to we been looking at the data, we've been looking at the analytics, we've been looking at the scheduling over the last five years. And unfortunately, this last two years with COVID, it's caused a little bit of a hiccup in kind of the mm-hmm. mode of what we're looking at. But we've really got to play, as, I, as I've turned it many times, Moneyball. We've got to look at the games that we're scheduling. We've got to look at the data and the analytics and the things we need to do uh, to get better and to win games against opponents that are at our level or a little bit better than us and start to build and grow that. I mean, one thing we did at the Mountain West We came up with a formula back in 2016-17 that was fully vetted by the NCAA. Dan Gavitt, who's the uh, senior vice president of basketball at the NCAA, took a look at our our proposed uh, scheduling, you know, recommendations, guidelines, whatever you want to call. With our institutions, we had Ken Ken Palm look at it, Ken Pomeroy look at it, Kevin Poga, who's now working with the Big West uh, on some of our scheduling things. Kevin Poga's looked at them, and I think that's where some of the success at the Mountain West is now. Uh, Is many of those schools looked at those scheduling recommendations and started scheduling based upon that. Same thing we're doing here at the Big West. We've got recommendations in front of uh, in front of the coaches. We've got future uh, conference schedules in front of the in front of the uh, administration now uh, taking a look at. So we're looking at gradually looking at things that we can do to improve men's and women's basketball scheduling, not only at the non-conference level, but also in the conference level as well.
0: So have you considered maybe going to a modified schedule similar to the West coast conference did where now I listen, I, and I, I would be against this cause I love the round robin element of it. Have you guys thought about potentially, Hey, let's maybe go do pods. Let's maybe adjust the schedule so we can have maybe an extra one or two quality games against maybe the Missouri Valley or conferences at that level that could help the big West ascend a little bit.
1: I know that, you know, I inherited schedules that were approved in 2018. So the 2020, 21 schedule was not played. We, we, Drew it out of a hat, right. we went back-to-back model because of COVID. So the 21-22 schedule that was approved back in 2018 is currently being played. So the thought process is now is that 2020-21 conference schedule would move to 22-23. So what I've been talking to the membership about is 23-24 and beyond, uh, which would include conference scheduling and re, you know, really changing up our conference scheduling. Whether that continues to stay at 20 games, part of the discussion has been do you want to consider less games? uh in the Mountain west we were at 18 the west coast conference is at 16. um you know it just depends on the kind of teams that you can get in non-conference play in some respects right now we're probably better off playing 20 conference games because we're not getting the level of competition that we want in our facilities because to be honest the level of competition that we put out there for the big west right now isn't at that level that a lot of teams want to come play at big west institutions so it's a gradual approach, things that we need to look at, but we are definitely looking at what that 23 24 scheduling model look, looks like and beyond.
0: You brought up the Mountain West 2016 17 to the present, which obviously has been a kind of a solid days of the Mountain West. I was actually more intrigued by your guys' ascension, meaning the Mountain West, between '05 and about, you know, 05 and maybe 2012, how you guys were able to ascend. Now that helped, a couple of teams got better. That, you know, San Diego State, you know, mainly was the big one that rose up. But, you know, all the other teams did kind of rise to meet the top. And, you know, being an old, you know, Big West guy from when I was in school, UNLV was the standard, right? You weren't going to beat UNLV, but you had enough teams like New Mexico State, Long Beach State at times, you know, able to kind of get to that level. Utah State obviously, obviously built it. So part of what happened with the Mountain West is you picked off good teams from other conferences I know that's probably not an option for the Big West, but what are some of the other steps that you want going back, you know, 05, 06, 07? What did the Mountain West do? Was it entirely done on a scheduling basis?
1: A little bit. There's a lot of things that went into that. I remember a a mid-July, late-July meeting that was called by the coaches that we all met in Las Vegas uh, during that recruiting time period in July. Uh, Hotter than anything out in Las Vegas at that point, but we all met at the Orleans Hotel, and all the head coaches met. Uh, We all looked at at the Mountain West at the time and said, guys, we've got to do better. We've got to get better. We've got to start working together to get better. So it was really getting everybody on the same page. And I'll, I'll never forget Neil Darty. Neil was the head coach at TCU at the time. Uh, and towards the end of that meeting, Neil said, you know what, guys, we've got three teams. We need to get behind the three teams in this league and just let them run. San Diego State, New Mexico, and UNLV, we need them to run. We need to put the emphasis behind them and just get going. And all of us, if we get a Fourth or fifth bid behind them, then that's great. But we got to do everything we can to help those three programs that are putting their money, resources, and everything towards basketball to get out there and run. And that's exactly what happened during that 2007, 08, 9, 10, you know, all the way up to the 2013 time period. Those teams really went out there and got running. Utah uh, was really good. BYU was really good. I mean, we we had some teams that were really good uh, at that time. So that really helped, and we had some unbelievably great. Head coaches as well. I mean, Lon Kruger, Steve Alford. I mean, you know, it was, we just had some really good people in, in the conference at that point as well. So experienced coaches, a little bit of philosophy. Of let, let's really help our top programs do what they need to do to succeed, and let's uh, us get behind them. And really, just everybody collectively thought about non-conference scheduling and the things that we needed to do. When we got five teams in the NCAA tw- tournament in 2013, that was the best we'd ever had. That we had nine institutions that year, and we got two, you know five teams in. So it was a big year for us in that respect and you go back and look at pretty much every team in the in the conference had winning records in non-conference play even one of our teams was not really good Start off i think they were 11 and 0 in non-conference play and then they didn't do anything in conference play but they scheduled the right teams to get the wins that they needed to get to help the rest of the league have success so most of our teams if not all of our teams were in the top 150 in the net in the rpi rankings at the time so then once you got to conference play you're playing top 150 competition the rest of the season. So there was a lot of collective group think that we're, we're getting there a little bit in, in the big West. We're starting to have those conversations, but we got a ways to go. Uh,
0: you mentioned the RPI and I, I'm really intrigued. So the, the net NET is kind of now the new metric as opposed to the RPI, you know, and I'm, I'm an old school guy. So I, but I look at both. So I still look at the RPI. What, what are some of the wrinkles? What are things differently the way the net is ca- calculated that maybe could benefit the big West Dan?
1: Yeah, it, it really takes into a lot of there's a lot of factors that go on behind it. And it's really uh, there's some some, um, you know, efficiencies relative to, to 10 points or more, 10 points or less in the, in the scoring margins, some of those type of things. But it really comes down to the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee uses that as part of the tool. And one of the things the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee and the Women's Basketball Committee at the same time as we're talking, because both of them are now on the net system. What they are looking at is intent to schedule. Did you try to schedule non-conference games, the games that you control? Did you try to go out there and schedule an NCAA caliber team or an NCAA caliber schedule in non-conference play? And that's really where the net and RPI or Ken Palm or, you know, Kevin Pocket System, KPI, what, whichever ranking you want to look at. That, that's those nitty gritty sheets that are available. And you can look at those nitty gritty sheets on the NCAA website. You can see teams had so many bad teams on the on the right side of the roster versus the left side. And you really want to try to wait towards the better to the top 75, top 100 teams. Are the teams that you want to try to play particularly if you're an ncaa caliber team uc santa barbara last year uc irvine last year were teams that were would be considered as ncaa at large knowing what they had coming back and the quality of players that they had coming back um uc santa barbara set a schedule that if they could have played it probably would have got them it, it had success at it in non-conference play during COVID. they probably could have got it better than a 12 seed in the ncaa tournament 12 seed was pretty doggone good for the big west and those are things that we're looking at is those teams that really have senior laden and junior laden teams that should be pretty good those teams really need to go out and schedule the teams that may be a little bit younger need to look at wins division one wins to help their counterparts that are going to go out there and take take on in that large opportunity
0: two specific things you bought or well, one specific thing you brought up so and I, I i apologize this is kind of a loaded question yeah. Are we? Because you mentioned the schedule 23-24 will be the first one where your your regime will be able to kind of have some hands in it. Um, are we a couple years away from the Big West not being able to schedule non-D1 opponents?
1: I, I don't know if we'll get there yet. I mean, it's, it really comes down to how we continue to perform. Are we getting better? I mean, people right now don't want to schedule UC Riverside. They don't want to schedule uh, UC Santa Barbara, UC Irvine because they know that if they go to those places, it's going to be a tough game. For them to play i mean we've got teams that are uc san diego you've seen them uh, already this season they've started really well in conference play and i would anticipate when they become full division one there's gonna be a lot of teams that don't want to play them either because the quality of competition but we ultimately have to be in a position where we have to force some of that competition uh to happen whether it's on neutral sites uh las vegas or as you indicated uh potentially in los angeles or you know trying to get some uh multi-team events going we've done did one here with the socal challenge uh, this past year where Cal Poly played down here in, in San Juan Capistrano, we're developing those relationships. We're, we've gotten a multiple relationships where if we have, we have a team that wants to get into multiple, uh, probably six or seven MTEs that we've now got the opportunity for the Big West team wants in that they can get in to that event, which is the first that's happened that I'm aware of. So again, it, it's going to take a little bit of a process, but we're getting to that point. We will get to that point where we're considered up there with the WCC in the West. Uh, of teams that you want to play against. And maybe down the road, we're good enough that the WCC would consider a, a challenge series with, with the Big West. Uh, I mean, there's other conferences I've talked to that may have some interest, but obviously, being where we're at, a West Coast Conference Big West challenge would be something that'd be great down the road.
0: And yeah, that'd be great also for like the local engagement in terms yeah. of the teams and the alumni as well. Um, so here's a little bit of a wrinkle. And I, I kind of just thought of this before we turned the mic on. So the o- Olympics are coming to LA in 2028. And, you know, back in 84, when they did it, a lot of the Big West venues, you know, were used in that competition. Is there, and I'm sure you guys have already run this through your people, but is there potentially the, the, uh, the opportunity to maybe upgrade some of those facilities, knowing the Olympics are coming up in 2028? Because I think talking about the Mountain West, the main advantage I feel the Mountain West had is for the most part, you guys had. Pretty good facilities everywhere across the board. There was kind of parity amongst the facilities. Of course, there were a couple that were better, maybe a couple that were below the line. But that baseline was pretty well set. I don't know that you can say that about the facilities in the Big West. I think there's a lot of disparity. I, as, as you mentioned, I was just at Remac, and I, I, I think that they already have. UCSD is going to hit the ground running just because of their facilities.
1: No, Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, One thing, UC San Diego, and this is my argument with the NCAA that I've been making for almost a year Here, now, UC San Diego is division one. Now, why they have to go through a four year transition period and they're only in year two of a transition period makes absolutely no sense to me in this division one process. And that's going to be a lot of discussion in the eight months ahead relative to the transformation of division one and what that looks like. UC San Diego is competing at division one. They are division one. They have the facilities and the broadcast facilities to be division one. So let them be division one. They're they're ready to to make that, that move. So we we do have some institutions in the league that that have facilities that may be a little bit worn. And those are things that we've got to look at. And hopefully there are some influx of some revenues to our institutions from the Olympics that may be able to uh, generate some new locker room facilities or or some new seating or some of that type of thing that we can look at moving forward here. But uh, I would anticipate the our institutions and their universities as a whole are having those discussions now uh, with the L.A. Olympic Committee and and trying to determine what needs to be done, what can get done in, in any of our sports. I mean, not just basketball. But soccer and some other sports we have as
0: well. Right. I bring it up because now with the Olympics, the money's got to be out there. There are private companies and, you know, third parties that are looking to improve things. And maybe, you know, you connect the dots a little bit depending on the regionality is, hey, talk to this person, talk to that person. And perhaps you can get an upgrade at some of the schools that that we that you and I both know. I don't want to put anybody on the hot seat, but that definitely need them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you look at uh, swimming and diving. There's not a lot of great indoor swimming and diving venues in the West. I mean, hopefully somebody from L.A. builds a great natatorium, you know, down the road. So we may be able to consider adding swimming and diving down the line here uh, in the Big West as a sport because we've got multiple institutions that participate in it. But the facilities are so rare out this way that it makes it a challenge for our institutions.
0: To kind of nutshell this, uh, Dan, you have – I'm sure you have a plan, and I know know you don't want to get into all the elements, but the two things I'm interested in specifically – or. i'm interested in what what are your top two or three areas of emphasis and i think schedule is definitely one of them what are one or two non-schedule related things that you feel can improve the quality of basketball overall in the big west
1: well i think you know the one great thing we we had we conducted a lot of research this time last year and the membership really said we need to improve basketball basketball needs to be a focus so that really drives the conference staff in many ways the rate you know the the quality and, and improvement of our analytics and our data, and the things that we need to do in basketball, we have got some really good wins. Uh, Arizona State, you know, uh, obviously Riverside beats Arizona State. Uh, Cal beats uh, or uh, UC San Diego beats Cal. I mean, we have got some things that we're seeing on ESPN and, and you know on the uh, Sports Center uh, shows and those type of things. But we really need to build the brand of the Big West. We need to determine ways that we can tell the success stories of not only of our teams but of our student athletes as well. We've got to generate interest not only in the Big West brand and the Big West institutions, but we have to help our institutions develop interest in their programs as well. I mean, as you look at, um, you know, game attendance, and I know this is COVID, and, and but we've got to do things to help our institutions, whether it's game times, whether it's games uh, days of the week, whether it's more linear games. Uh, I mean, we announced our Spectrum Sports Net package um, to help drive some more uh, visibility here in the Big West region. We've got to do things we can do to really help grow the sport the brand, the fan base uh, within the Big West to really get it back to, as you talk about in the mid-1990s, where it was just rocking. I mean, you're talking about the, the basketball tournaments played at the Forum where the Lakers are being played. I mean, the, the future buildings that are going to be built here uh, in the L.A. region. I mean, we really need to, to show that we can sell out a building. Dollar Loan Center is a 5,500 to 6,000-seat facility, brand-new building in, in Henderson, Nevada. How, how can we get fans over there and really fill that building up and make this a great destination for the Big West and really show that Big West basketball is making the steps we need to make to be successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had I had a meeting a few months ago, or I guess last year, almost a year ago now, with your consigliere uh, Tom Davis, and yeah. shout out to Tom for 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 facilitating this with our first meeting. But you know, the one thing I thought in terms of branding this conference is the leverage that we had in terms of the conference with the LAOC and now San Diego markets, you know, and we were talking about it this week you know, And Steve Quist and Ted Menhall were. I mean, San Diego has the potential of being a tremendous basketball market be- between uh, San Diego State, USD, and UCSD. Now, kind of a modified version of the old Philly Big Five. And there's been rumor of maybe San Marcos or even uh, St. Catherine's trying to move up D1 or D2, and they could also be part of that mix. Um, But I I just think the leverage of the L.A. market is something that's gone untapped for so long. Um, And people will say, well, we don't really have a team in L.A., which is true. But the alumni base of Big West schools in the greater L.A. area, I think, is fairly similar to that of either USC or UCLA. And that's something that I think that that needs to be, you know, it's an asset that that really needs to be explored. And I'm sure you guys are doing it. It's going to take time of how to penetrate that market. Uh, but that was one of the things that jumped out at me. So that'll give us a smooth transition into the move to ESPN+. Plus. We talked about it a little bit when we spoke in the fall. Um, so let me tell you what, what you know, what my my assessment has been. I've been surprised by kind of the mixed response, you know, for every person that says, hey, it's great. I can watch all my, you know, alma mater's games on one platform. I've heard people kind of balk at the uh, it's it's largely about the paywall. And for so many years, they've not had to pay to access Big West video content. And now they do. I would shout out to them. Hey, the Varsity app is free and a lot of Big West content on there on the audio side. How would you respond to that, uh, Dan?
1: Well, there's a couple ways to look at it. Uh, obviously, I've been dealing with streaming you know, for years now, but it really comes down to understand that you used to have games on your website, but you also had the games on ESPN3, and there were 60 games a year that were more that were put up on the ESPN3 platform. Well, ESPN3 is not free. ESPN3, you were paying a cable or satellite subscriber to have ESPN, and then you got authentication to be able to get ESPN3. So with so many students and so many people across the country cutting the cord, as they say, going away from satellite and cable subscriptions, you know, subscriptions, they're going to the app system. I mean, knowing what the future is, it holds here for sports. ESPN plus is where things are going to be in many ways in sports. I mean, the NHL just signed a deal that features most of their games on ESPN plus. Uh, I think it's 22, 23 conferences right now that have their content on ESPN plus. So, Understand it is a cost, no doubt about it. I think it's 6.99 a month now. It was 5.99. They've gone up a dollar. Uh, the full bundle, if you want to do the bundle, I think it's 14.99 for Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu. Um, so you can get a lot of content for 15 bucks versus maybe a couple hundred dollars for a cable or satellite subscription. So I, I understand the, the frustration when you've gotten it on the websites for free. But the goal here is to improve the quality and the amount of content for the Big West on the ESPN Plus platform. As you said, just making it a one-stop shop where you know all of the games are all on one Big West page on ESPN Plus. And you can see if your you know, water polo team's up there, your men's volleyball, basketball, soccer, uh, whatever sport should be up there on the ESPN Plus platform moving forward
0: yeah no i mean I, I I think it was the right move I think we needed something where it was a one stop shop where kind of everything was across the board and and you know you guys made that decision but i i, I was as I, said, I was surprised I thought you know there's always going to be that outlier I thought it would be about seventy thirty eighty twenty it's been 50 50 and these are long-term you know alumni and fans and, and people who really want to engage this content um so i i'm just selling them the audio dan because you know i'm an old <laughs> radio guy so i'm just hey you got the audio for free you know scott marsh trent rush all those guys on the radio side let's 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 uh, let's fill their coffers a little bit um the other the other part of it is from an institutional standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, there seems to have been a little bit of dissonance in terms of your guys' decision as a conference versus the schools in terms of the production. Now, there's a little backstory to that. I know that I think we talked about this last time. When UC San Diego and CSUB joined the conference, it was a condition. This might have been before you even came in. It was yep. a condition of their admission. They would produce their own, you know, ESPN three, which is now ESPN plus content. Um, how have you felt the transition has gone from, in terms of from the schools uh, with regard to their production of these events over, you know, these first three or four months of this deal?
1: Well, there, there's no doubt. I mean, UC San Diego and Cal State Bakersfield had a year advantage. And one of the things, I mean, we, we had been in discussion with our athletic directors, with our presidents, with our SWA groups since October 2020 relative to the, this ESPN agreement because the, ESPN, the previous ESPN agreement was coming up on June, July 1st, 2021. So we knew we had to go out and look at what the future model would be for the Big West. So we talked about minimum number of games, the, the fact that the institutions did require uh, Bakersfield and San Diego to produce their own content and why that wasn't done across the board. And again, those were decisions that were made prior to me. So it, it has been a challenge for some institutions to get up and running, to get to the minimum number of you know cameras or, or staffing or some of this other stuff To be able to put these games up and up and online but the first year is always going to be that way you know change is always going to be seen as a change a lot of people don't like change uh and those are things that to to be able to get the big west where we need it to be to be competitive with other division one conferences the big west was very much behind in the amount of content that was available nationwide on streaming or even on linear tv so we had to come up with a plan And our membership determined we're good with 60. We will produce 60 games each as an institution. Our minimum of at least 600 games or events a year on the ESPN Plus platform. We all agreed, uh, or they all agreed, gave me those marching parameters. We went to ESPN and packaged that and said this is what we're willing to do. That's how we came up with our overall uh, plan with ESPN. But we know that some institutions are doing it at a much higher level than some other institutions. But sooner or later, we'll get there, and it just takes some time.
0: Uh, the commissioner, Dan Butterly of the Big West, I, I want you to indulge me for a moment. This is, I know this is probably more of a Dennis question, but the decision was made before he came on board. So I was curious about the Learfield relationship. We have several schools in the conference that are, that are Learfield members. They I mean, and, and I just I've talked to people on the Learfield side, so they felt a little bit blindsided by the deal. And I was just curious, was the Learfield relationship considered by the conference before doing this ESPN Plus deal? Or was it one of those things where, hey, let's do this deal and then we'll figure out what we need to do with Learfield once this deal is done?
1: Well, and the thing is the we the Big West had a relationship with Learfield and Learfield determined that because of their financial issues, they determined that they no longer wanted to represent the Big West Conference moving forward. So. our direct contact with Learfield was no longer going to be there. We ultimately had to get somebody to help us sell sponsorships here. So we partnered with another entity, but I don't have that direct relationship with Learfield. That's where I rely upon our institutions. They were fully versed. They had, you know, breakdowns of everything that was going to be available to them back in December of last year uh, as to what the, the content was going to be, what the additional revenue streams were going to be made available to Learfield to go out and be able to sell uh versus what they had previously so there, there was a lot of new opportunity a lot of new inventory for the Learfields of the world but it really comes down to once we got the agreement done uh, in late June early July then probably some of the ADs felt comfortable going out and communicating that to the Learfields or the third party uh, rights holders that were out there selling it but now there's more inventory than there ever has been uh, for them to be able to sell and monetize now it's up to the Learfields of the world to, to step up and start selling it for our institutions
0: All right. Dan Butterly, again, always great to talk to you before, before we let you go. And I know it's a busy day and I, I I thank you for joining me kind of at a busy time of the year. Um, before you sign off, what's your, what would your message be to, to big West basketball fans on both the men's and women's side? Obviously I think part of the message is, Hey, be in Henderson from March 8th to 12th or wherever those dates are. But, uh, Give me a missive or a message to those people who are excited about being less basketball. And hopefully once we get back up and running, get through this, this surge of the next month or so, um, what can they expect? What should they expect? What do you hope they can they can gain out of engagement with, with this product?
1: Yeah, we really need their help in many ways. We, we need them to engage, whether it's watching games on ESPN Plus or attending games in person or, as you indicated, get over to Henderson. Uh, be a part of the basketball championships. Open the doors to this brand new facility in Henderson, Henderson, Nevada. It it really is going to be an exciting week of college basketball for not only the Big West, but other, other institutions, other conferences out there in Las Vegas. But we are at a foundational point at this point in Big West basketball. We are at a point that we are going to continue to grow and continue to improve. And we need fans. We need boosters. We need supporters. We need people buying tickets or watching our games to help grow the Big West brand, help grow the Big West product. And help grow Big West basketball. So when you're talking to to friends and family, you're excited about talking about, you know, UC Riverside basketball versus having to talk about St. John's basketball, you know, that type of thing. Be proud of your institution, get to the games and help uh, help our student athletes feel like they're appreciated.
0: And again, thanks again we got to get you out to the Matadome. Bring Tom Davis. Bring Dennis. I'll show you right where Johnny swept the leg, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But Dan Butterly, Big West Commissioner, thanks for joining us as well, and I hope to see you down the road this year in this conference.
1: You no, know, We're absolutely looking forward to getting up to CSUN. We're just hoping this Omicron uh, variant diminishes and we can get up there. We plan to be up there, but it's just uh, not for sure where, where this is going, but hopefully it dies down pretty soon.
0: Dan Butterly, everybody. Thanks. we <laughs>